amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Black Panther. The LA Times raves Black Panther is the cinematic event of the year. Vanity Fair calls it a political and social triumph. Rolling Stone hails it's thrillingly and thoughtfully directed by Ryan Coogler. USA Today acclaims Black Panther is a rousing and cultural movement. And now... It's a Golden Globe-nominated film for Best Picture of the Year. Black Panther, for your consideration. For real. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. The last episode of the year, I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, while we are speeding towards the end of the year and hoping we can squeeze in a little bit of R&R before we start 2019 with a whole bunch of other stuff. There is still award stuff to talk about because this week we got the short lists for a whole bunch of different stuff. And while we don't need to go through all of those things, there are some significant updates here that really kind of shorten the field. So maybe we should start with foreign language. Some stuff obvious, some stuff a little surprising, wouldn't you say? I was not that surprised with the foreign language. Of course, Roma and Cold War and Capernaum from Cannes all all got in. Um, I was expecting uh, The Guilty, uh, actually, the Scandinavian film. And um, I was surprised that Border didn't make it. That's the one. And it did get, it got shortlisted for makeup and, and hair, which I was expecting. But um, that's not- just absurd. I mean, this movie, people love talking about it. We, you had said before that it had screened well to Academy members. It's that kind of funky movie slot, right? The surprise, the kind of risque foreign language. Well, slot. it looks I mean- like it would have had to have been put in by the committee and um, and it didn't get put in by the committee. I would say the guilty may have been the one that got that slot. I'm not sure. Um, It's a great movie. They're doing a remake with Jake Gyllenhaal now, apparently, but it's a surprise movie. It's just a little safer, a little bit more accessible. Well, what this reminds is that when the countries put in the wrong films, um, Italy and France are examples, I would say, in this case, um, you know, they they sometimes uh, just don't don't get in. Shoplifters got in, of course, which, by the way, that's playing really well. Well, it's no surprise. I mean, so usually real, what I didn't a, think it would be such a mainstream thing that people that people who aren't necessarily super art film lovers would would respond to, but they are. Well, Shoplifters is a movie that that creeps up on people. Even I mean, Roma is is also is a, it's a slow burn, but it's 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 more of a, a challenge I think for some people who aren't necessarily used to that kind of cinematic experience. Whereas Shoplifters is almost like you know, Italian neorealism or something. It's a story yeah, of a no, family. Yeah, no, it takes you right story. in. Yep, yeah, no, it draws you in. It's very charming. Now, there had been good word on Kazakhstan's Ica, which got a prize, an acting prize at Cannes. So I was I was not surprised to see that make make the list, although, although that's something I still have to catch up with. Um, Birds of Passage, 
from uh, Cristina Gallego and and Cito Guerra from from Colombia that got in. Cito and Guerra, been, he got nominated for uh, Embrace of the Serpent before. Right. Yeah, no surprise there. I and Burning got about. in. The Burning would be the one that I think that the that the uh, executive committee probably put in. Um, well, that I mean that movie's great. It was it's been beloved ever since its can premiere, and it's not it's not a weird one. It's not a challenge for a lot of people. But I mean, that would have been one that would have been. Um, Mm, that's a tougher sit for for some of the more uh, mainstream folks in in the foreign branch. Um, but but it's also something that they wouldn't want to have left out. Let's put it that way. They really wouldn't want to leave that out. The other one that was playing well is Never Look Away from uh, Germany, which uh, I had heard good word about and which I caught up with last night. And it's very good. And Sony Pictures Classics, while not a big player like they used to be in this season, certainly does seem to be looking well and looking good in this category, having never look away and, um, uh, yeah, which, uh, which, you know, they always, they always factor. Um, it's it's very rare that they would not. Yeah. But Capernaum is not, not everybody's in love with Capernaum. It got, it didn't get a New York film festival slot. You know, it's, it's not, not all critics are in love with this. movie. That's a movie that plays very well for an audience. And I would say it, uh, less so for critics, but um, it obviously played well for this group. Um, and, and so it's good we filmmaking, have, though. I mean, that's the thing. I think I think people recognize uh, that Nadine Labaki did a really great job. With I think this. she is a good filmmaker. It's not. I wouldn't say it's her strongest movie, but it certainly is very ambitious and it has a great child performance in it and stuff. So, it, it, in some ways, it's the most commercial of these films, except for Roma because of the company pushing it. But I would but, like to argue that Labaki's the sheer level of craft in the filmmaking in these uh, real locations with non-professionals. I mean, I think it's one of the best directed films in the lineup. I think she should get credit for that. Well, I, she is also the only solo female director, I think. Among the other one would be the wife of the ex-wife of of Cito Guerra. Right, right. It's a co-directed film, so there's there is a conversation to be had about that. And then we have the documentary shortlist, so we should go into that as well because that one's pretty interesting. I, again, I would say not a ton of surprises, like like you were saying. Although it's unfortunate that Amazing Grace isn't on there, given the story behind. That was always that a long shot. What's interesting about the shortlist for documentaries is that um, many of them were expected. You know, the big box office hits all got in. Free Solo and and Won't You Be My Neighbor and RBG and and Three Identical Strangers and then. Others that I thought would get in got in. Dark Money, Crime and Punishment. Uh, they have gotten some attention from from different awards groups. But then there were these movies that nobody was talking about, like Charm City and Communion and The Distant Barking of Dogs, which are international titles. Um, and and so that I was happy to see those movies uh, break in. It means that the people on the branch did their homework. Well, yeah, the documentary committee has has gone through a fascinating evolution over the last decade or so, just in terms of who's being more, more proactive there. It seems to be one of the more engaged branches. I mean, this that's my armchair analysis in terms of trying to get this kind of representation for the scale, scope of, of quality nonfiction filmmaking. Because well, these they are leaned into women, too. So the, the half of these 15 films are, are directed by eight women made made the, up this list of 15 which is great. I'm surprised you didn't mention one film that does seem to have a decent campaign behind it which is Minding the Gap 
a film that you know it won our prize in your film critics yeah i mentioned it no okay no minding the gap was expected yeah i mean that's the idea award yeah there's and and that's not i mean the most traditional kind of a you know awards player it's very personal kind of a project so i think that's kind of fascinating you know curious to see how how far along that one goes as well as hale county this morning this evening which is not a conventional narrative structure for a documentary at all it's a very very much almost like the the camera person uh slot in a way which is which is not a film that got nominated but it did get shortlisted and so there is a there is some something there that i think is kind of interesting shirkers being another movie that you know very personal kind of a project that's the netflix film that seems to have a decent campaign going on behind it. So there's a, a really interesting range of films. Three so let's let's is guess what the five too. will be that will make it to uh, final nominations. What, well, what? I think it's safe to say, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong with this. I think it's safe to assume that Will We Be My Neighbor, RBG and Free Solo are locks. RBG right? isn't a lock necessarily. Interesting. So if we take that out, that means we have, two locks and a lot of room for experimentation. I would say Minding the Gap and Crime and Punishment are locks. Well, so then we just have one more slot, which I would say might be a, might be the Netflix film because Netflix can spend money on that. But then you also have, you know, something like... Uh, uh, I think RBG probably gets the slot. Yeah. Well, then you have your then you have your category, but not three, but not three identical strangers. But you also have something like On Her Shoulders, which if it's it's i mean if it screens well is an emotionally resonant film about you know a survivor of genocide at the hands of isis that you know that's the kind of thing that could yes it is i mean so so it really is kind of open-ended in the sense that one of these could be a surprise nominee if not a a, and then there's hale county too which is something else that could get that would surprise me but but it surprises a more artful film yeah Yeah. so it's really about the campaigning in that respect did you ever see the silence of others which is the spanish movie i haven't seen it but now i have a a, i got it too so that's i have to catch up with (laughs) that's a nice thing i always find it interesting and it's like we spend all year watching more movies than the average viewer and yet through this process, there still is something that comes up that we just haven't encountered yet. I mean, you know, there are some obvious, I have an obvious blind spot in the best actress field, but, uh, you know, <laughs> this kind of stuff is, is more surprising. No, here's know. the night. This is the time of year. Um, uh, I mean, we're ahead of a lot of people who are voting in these, in these races in terms of what we've seen, because we've been to so many festivals and we got to see them earlier, but now, Everybody's catching up with these uh, these films that are on these short lists, and we have to catch up too. Yeah, I'm, it's kind of interesting too. It's like I, I mean, I have a shoebox at home that gets refilled every year with all these different screeners. I'm on a bunch of different lists. I get some duplicates, unfortunately, which I try to sort through. But it's it, it's interesting to think about the many different kinds of people, different ages, different stages of their careers who are getting these things, and then hopefully trying to catch up on stuff for the holidays. I mean, a lot of people don't, but this is the time to do it. And it does make a difference because if everybody makes the effort to see certain things, those things really do have more of a shot at getting noticed in various categories. So, you know, it's sort of, I'm sort of curious about how, for example, with the documentaries or the foreign uh, language films, how that's going to make a difference. Like Cold War, for example, is a movie that is just kind of getting back into the conversation after its can premiere. 
So, you know, it didn't get a Globe nomination, but it could still wow a lot of people if they pop that DVD in over the holidays because it's it's shorter than a lot of the other options and it's very gorgeous and, and very, you know, satisfying for what people are, are looking for. So that there are there are things like that that could perhaps emerge into the new year with a little extra boost, a little extra momentum. But if you look at all the different shortlists, um, one thing that I could divine uh, just overall, you know, sort of stepping back and looking at the patterns, um, you can see that Black Panther and um, uh, the Black Klansmen, uh, you know, are, are doing very well. Actually, they're they're and holding up. Talked, and it's funny to talk about that and be like, well, where is all this obvious A Star Is Born momentum that people have been talking about? For no, that peaked as I predicted it would, and it became a huge box office hit, which I predicted it would. And Star Is Born is now a well liked, sort of well made middle of the road studio movie that doesn't have a lot of gravitas attached to it. And Bradley Cooper isn't necessarily a shoe in for best director, although yeah, yeah, he's going to do well about this, about yeah. this movie as Have an I... actor and she'll do well, obviously it'll get lots of nominations, but it's not the front runner anymore. Well, how many times have you seen the stars born? Did I see it more than once? Yes, I saw it twice. I saw it for the second time just a couple of days ago. I got I watched it with my wife at home, having seen it once before. And my first reaction to it was, yeah, it's okay. I think Lady Gaga is the most impressive thing about it. My second time, I had that reaction, but my reaction to the movie as a whole was was even lower. I, I just was... It just did not have real repeat viewing to me. I felt like the movie's kind of the beats that are telegraphed really early on were even more obvious and it has a lot of plot holes and stuff. And I I don't know, there's just something about it that felt very ephemeral. And, and uh, I don't know, I'm I'm curious. I I would hope that because of that, other people are also seeing the movie that way, because frankly, there are more interesting films to talk about this season. And it's kind of boring to think of this movie being such a slam dunk front runner, you know, and you know, that's that. I think so. they did a really, really good job with this movie. Um, did I put it on, on you know, some kind of high level uh, of one of the best movies of the year? No, but it's 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 actually really well made and very well thought out and incredibly well performed. I, I hope it's that not- Sam Elliott gets in. I hope I hope you know there there is room, Eric. There is room for for us to to applaud Hollywood when they make a more independent version of a Hollywood movie than you expect them to. This is not a glossy, you know, fictionalized, stupid, formulaic movie. And I think it should get credit for that. I'll give it credit for for not being more as as glossy as certain things, but... I don't know. I, I wouldn't give it too much credit in a year when we can be celebrating The Favorite and Roma and movies that are just, I think, much more thrilling and, and gratifying to talk I about. I love those films. Those are two of my favorite films of the year, as you know. But at the same time, just for the sake of the Oscars, I'm hoping that Black Panther 
And Black you know, Panther gets a I lot of, of, I am, you know, my theory yeah. that it's going to be the default best picture winner is holding up. It's I mean, doing very I, well. That is a movie that I enjoyed revisiting, honestly, because my first time through it, I experienced it as a, an important but superhero movie, but nevertheless a, an important a, a superhero movie. And the second time I came back to it, I, I appreciated more the kind of sophistication of it and, and so the craftsmanship. It, yeah, and the if we're going to if we're going to pat Hollywood on the back, let's pat it on the back for some for this kind of an accomplishment. To me, is is more gratifying than what Bradley Cooper's done, which good for him. I hope he continues to make movies and evolve as a filmmaker, but that's yeah, kind of so where I'm at. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's interesting to see also, you know, at this stage, um, <laughs> there's like, there's a 70 millimeter release of Roma. There, there's a, uh, they're bringing back Black Panther and IMAX, yep. you know, yep. there's all these different uh, late inning uh, revisits of, of the movies to put them back in front of people's uh, you know, Jane Campion writes a defense of Leave No Trace and Deborah Granick that we published in IndieWire. Uh, Oprah Winfrey goes out and pr- promotes Black Panther. You know, they're, you know, Michael Mann is still hoping that that, that um, Private War will, will yield something for, and, for Best Actress. And it's also notable that as much as means, you know, maybe superficial, superficial that it's you know propaganda in its own way. A lot of it works, right? I mean, Black Klansman, like Spike Lee's been out there fronting for this movie, and it's He's getting so charming. People stuff. adore him, and, and that, that as much as as it's like you know the the Black Panther campaign, you know, it, it's like you can see how it's 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 pushing this movie in a very particular kind of way. It it could work. So, you know, even even this thing that you're talking about, the leave no trace advocacy that, that Campion put out there today. I mean, that all of this stuff could yield some sort of results somewhere. It's a needle that's being pushed. You know, it's it, there's 8000 Academy members and and we'll see, you know, we'll see where they all end up. Um, you know, so some of them, some of the craftspeople are going to appreciate the virtues of Black Panther or. Um, some people do recognize that Leave No Trace is incredibly well directed. Wouldn't that be awesome if the directors, you know, put Deborah Granick in there? That would be great. Well, not not to mention the fact that you have you have Ryan Coogler in contention, you have Spike Lee in contention, and Barry Jenkins has been working pretty hard too. So I wouldn't completely rule There's out. There's a remote possibility that if Beale Street could talk, is going to wind up with Regina King alone. Well, that's that. That seems like the only safe bet. But there's other campaigning going on. I mean, Jenkins was doing Q and A's all. Maybe over best the, picture. Maybe he gets you know, in there. It, it could be. He got plenty of slots. He was on. He did late night, and he was doing Q and A's in New York on on a rainy weekend. You know, like that's that's a lot of commitment that not all filmmakers or other talent are, are doing. So you think it's got to be rubbing off somehow. So we're, we're allowed to talk about vice now, we which can is finally, finally opening talk about the embargo that wouldn't quit. They moved it like three times. Oh, it was so annoying. Cause I, I really wanted to, to get into this with you. Um, now I think you and I are both fairly positive, but mixed on this. As I'm if fairly I'm reading mixed. You. I'm fairly mixed. I'm not as negative as a lot of people have been. Like David I, Ehrlich, I think I is be, very negative. He, yeah, he hated it. A lot of people hated it, but you know, I, I wrote about it only after I made sure that I could see the film more than once because it's packed with a lot of stuff. Very dense. And my re- response to it was, 
that I some of it really annoyed me. Some of it I thought was really crass. And then other as I, I, it's so rare to see a movie where some of it it's like so clearly not working, and uh, and other aspects of it are working amazingly well. And that's sort of the paradox of this movie. You have obviously an amazing Christian Bale performance. Amy Adams pretty good, and then the kind of clarity through which it breaks down his progression from kind of a a, a drunk drunk young guy to being this overly committed kind of schemer who who you know takes advantage of every aspect of the presidency for his own gain is is i think pretty well thought through it's just that it has these very crass digressions to try to explain to average joes how evil dick cheney was and it really screws up the movie in a lot of ways it's just that it, it divulges, it, it kind of goes for parody at the wrong moments. And I wouldn't mind a, an all-out satire, to be honest with you, but I think this satire was not sophisticated enough to justify the way it intrudes on the more complex well, part aspect. of it is that there are several different, uh, there are several key changes from the big short, but he's using some of the same tactics to entertain us because he's trying to shove all this sophisticated political maneuvering uh, at the audience, but he wants to entertain them at the same time. So he's trying to, to pull that off. And, and in the Michael Lewis uh, book that, that, that the big short is based on, there were some great characters that he could use. And, and we are all happy in the period after, after the, uh, the recession to, you know, jump on Wall Street. Everybody wanted to jump in on that action. And in this case, it's much more of an agitprop um, liberal uh, point of view on, on Dick Cheney. And he, he says he wants to bring everybody into the tent to, to appreciate this. But I'm not sure how that's going to play. But frankly, um, I wouldn't mind an all-out liberal takedown of these awful people if it was if the movie was willing to go there. It, it you know? sort of pulls back it, from that. I, I mean, it's just okay. So that you have these recurring cutaways that just drove me nuts. It's like he read one of those like Sergei Eisenstein film theory books about how to convey meaning through editing. So he decided to cut away to fly fishing to remind us that Dick Cheney is ensnaring George W. Bush. Yeah, yeah. Uh, By the way, there wasn't enough of George W. Bush. Sam Rockwell was fabulous. And I would have liked more of him. He was good, but he they did something weird to his face with his nose and his Oh, it ear. didn't he bother me. Like or something, I don't know. No, it didn't bother me. The second time I noticed more what they did to his face. The makeup so was amazing on Christian Bale. I have to say, this is another Gary Oldman situation. Where he's better than Gary Oldman. You have this extraordinary transformation. But in the writing of the movie... And in the sequence, because oh, it covers like four decades, and, and and so what they do in terms of making sure that he looks right in each, it's like it's like Christian Bale gained just the right amount of weight to be able to go up and to go down in the course yeah, of the movie. And it's very believable. It's very well done. But and I think Amy Adams is amazing in this also as Lynn Cheney, uh, and she's also aging and changing. But but the idea is that you you don't really understand how he made that key transition between being the drunken guy to being the schemer in Washington. You know, suddenly he shows up with, and he's an intern in Washington. I didn't get that transition. Well, I think the it, it follows a traditional biopic beat in that respect and that it's, he does it because he's, he's a screw up and his wife says you either get your act together or you walk. 
And so his motivation is that he's a he's a family man and he wants to make his family I don't proud. Know why he goes to politics? That's the part that's missing. Well, we it, don't know it is an open question. That. Why? What made what made him? What caused him to make that jump in the first? I place? I think so, and I think that's a pretty big gap. It's, it's an open question, although you could argue that you know we until that's not the information that we need to understand because he did he wanted power he wanted to to make people proud he didn't appear to be an ideologue well there's this there's an interesting moment where he asks rumsfeld when he's working for rumsfeld as an intern uh, what what our beliefs are and and crow just laughs right and that's sort of it it's interesting It, it suggests to you that he's it's not that he was he he was immoral, but he was just sort of waiting for this job to tell him what his morals should be, and then realized that he didn't need them. That's and then right. also, it That's gives good. you this sense that he becomes he kind of settles into just being an evil capitalist, and then this new opportunity comes to exploit the White House. So he wasn't really interested in politics; he was interested in he was going to stay away. He was going to yeah. he was absolutely running Halliburton, and everything was fine. And then they pulled him back in. That's an interesting moment. In any case, I have to say. That's where they have the Shakespeare scene. You and I talked about this. Yeah, You were like trying to find out which Shakespeare play this scene was. And nobody knew. And then I had to go and confirm that it was actually original writing, the scene where they talked in Shakespearean dialogue. And I I went, I got a cop, found a copy of the screenplay. I mean, it's, it really does. It really, it's somebody who knows their Shakespeare. It really does sound like they're ta- a scene from Macbeth or something where they're scheming. And so they're, they're I, I mean, we're talking about like, what, when should we celebrate Hollywood for doing this or that? This, I mean, the ambition of this project, I appreciate. I wish that it had been polished a little bit more, but I do appreciate what Adam McKay was trying to do here. And, and uh, Oh, look, I'll take this over a lot of other things. And I, I actually look forward to, to seeing it again. That's the sort of thing I can look, look, look at over the, over the holidays. The other holiday movies that are coming up um, include On the Basis of Sex, which is another movie that I give credit to for authenticity at, at, the, at, at the expense of some kind of glossy Hollywood version yeah, of, a, of yeah. a story that we already know from RBG. Um, I was worried about it. Army Hammer plays the husband. Felicity Jones plays RBG. But it's actually written by the nephew. It's actually of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's she completely participated. Everything is authentic to the to every dot, dot and detail is real. Um, uh, and I mean, it felt like an authentic movie to but me. But it's, it's it, did pretty you, cheesy. Did you did you did you find it to be inauthentic? I, I mean, to some degree, yeah. I, I, it felt like it had the Wikipedia version of her life. I saw the documentary. I mean, I you know everything that's Well, coming. this is just a slice, remember. Yeah. This is just the beginning early period when she sure. first goes to argue. For when she first gets denied all of the jobs that should have gone to her from graduating at the top of her class I just uh, found it to Harvard be a very modeling kind she of ends up, But it's a lovely portrait of a marriage, too, which I, which I appreciated. Well, as much as I respect Army Hammer as an actor, I, I struggled with his role as Marty. I mean, I just, I felt like it was just that he wasn't given enough to do. It was kind of an insubstantial character designed to prop her up, which great. That's it. That, that She's the one that insisted that that character be in it as well, much as he be. was because, like he was important. because he helped her and he, yeah. and he was important and he supported her when, 
by the way, she supported him when he was dying of, of cancer in college. She wrote all his papers for him. I mean, what she did was amazing. And this movie actually brought me to tears several times. Am I making a claim for it as, again, not Royalty one of the 10 much. best, Royalty but much. it's it was really I think it's a great example of a good Hollywood biopic for uh, a, a nice, juicy adult audience. I mean, adults are smart people. They can they can experience all kinds of different movies. I mean, it just to me, this movie is, is panders in a way that I just uh, I just don't even want to waste time on it. I, 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 if people ask me what don't they should do, don't you want people to know the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Why so why wouldn't why is this a waste of people's time? Because the documentary is, is can do that. How many this, people saw the documentary? This has an opportunity. It, it did well for a documentary, like fourteen million, ten I think it was ten million dollars over the summer, but this. This is this is something that could reach a lot more people and tell I mean, them a story that that would mean something to them. I just found it to be to be very bland. I, I, it's, I it just it didn't it didn't engage me, and it, it, it felt like a lot of the dialogue. Maybe it's been more Marty and that you would have liked it more. I don't know. I mean, I, I I didn't buy his performance honestly. Like I said, I felt like it was very stilted and, and just um, she is very good, Felicity Jones, and. and you know, I wish, people, I wish people appreciate I mean, with that and solo, it's like maybe not the best year to showcase how that she's a real talent, but she is good in both of those movies and, and should continue to be, you know, appreciated for that. I did but, an interview uh, with her and it was interesting. She, she basically said that she thought she would get flooded with great parts after solo and uh, they didn't come. Not the ones she wanted. Well, this yeah, was what she wanted. It's unfortunate, but but she she is great. I mean, I thought she was great going back to like like crazy and things like that. She's always been sort of somebody you you really know. Theory of everything, yeah. Yeah. So so hopefully she she has a, a good year ahead of her in that respect. Uh, in any case, I would say. And then there's the, Destroyer, which is coming, which is the uh, finally after all the film festivals where we saw it. It seems months ago. Um, so we've got Karen Kasama and Nicole Kidman. Uh, starring in this uh, tough noir thriller set in and the LAPD and and uh, Nicole just rocks it. She is a movie. The movie itself is is fine. I think it's a it's a noir. It, it's pretty relatively straightforward as far as these things go. I thought. I mean, it's a little it's a little too it was a little too humorless for the kind of genre movie that it was. I thought, but. But Karen Kasama is not known for her humor. I will yeah, say that. But, but, it, but also, it has like, a it, nice twisted plot. So it's not like it's all straightforward. You no, don't know it, everything. It's okay. I, I, I respect this movie, but I think that I would agree that it's, it's Kidman is, is the selling point. She is somebody who, you know, just continues to be fascinating to watch in any kind of movie, just no matter what she appears in, she's always trying something and often, you know, outshines the project itself. And this one, you know, considering how much of a transformation she undergoes to this, you know, hard drinking woman who's just sort of beaten down um, and, and doesn't showboat to make that transition. I think that that is very impressive for somebody at that level of her career to pull this off. So so that's great. And then did you ever see Stan campaign. and Ollie? So I did see Stan and Ollie. Stan and Ollie is likable for what it is. It, it didn't stick with me at all. But I, but I did. I mean, just seeing. Uh, I was surprised at how moved I was by those two guys, by well, Steve Coogan yeah. and John C. Riley, who They're did a really good that. job of recreating those guys. If you go back and you, if you watch Stan and Ollie, if you're a Lauren Hardy fan, you'll get something out of it, and then go back and watch some of their stuff, 
and you'll see how accurately they recreate. They did a great job. That part is really impressive, and they're very well. They're very well cast. It's just not. It's not a. It's not a big movie. It is kind of. It's a very slight movie, but I enjoyed slight. it. And and you know, it. it uh, I'm curious to see if if a sort of. A, it's getting buried right now, but maybe later on, uh, the adult uh, art house audience might yeah. might catch up with it. It's it's an enjoyable, sweet, moving kind of le- late in life uh, portrait of these but, two guys. Let's be honest. All of this stuff is better than Mary Poppins Returns, right? Mary Poppins Returns, to its credit, is not is a is a really faithful homage to the original. So they yeah, don't depart. Curious. They don't reinvent. They don't go to some crazy place. Like I, I, the horror would be if someone like Jeffrey Katzenberg had gotten a hold of it and they tried to update it, you know, for today. Well, Robert Zemeckis doing some mocap thing. You mean? Well, but, maybe. I don't know. I just was, that was underwhelmed. innovative, but Rob Marshall is a musical director and I love that original movie. And I was, I did not want to see this. I was worried sick that I would be, you know, that my love of the original would be betrayed and that did not occur. So Emily Blunt does a great job and it's fun to watch and it's escapist and it slips by you in a very easy, enjoyable, forgettable way. Yeah, I just kept wondering. Are actually very sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, visually, it's it's actually kind of a trippy movie. Like you could go watch this movie Stone, and you'd have fun because it like yeah angles and and animation. There's a great animated sequence, absolutely. But But that's what's wrong with it. They go back to the original too slavishly for yeah. And and the music I thought didn't really stick with me, and I was not emotionally invested. Not the Sherman Brothers. So you know. Whatever, on to the next one, I guess. In any case, we have some movies that people aren't talking about enough that I feel like for our last podcast of the year, we should remind people about. I always think it's important as we get to the end of the year and we're kind of forced into these conversations about, you know, stuff that just happens to be in the natural, the kind of national conversation, uh, to remind people about things that we like that maybe we wish we would have campaigned for a little bit harder. Do you have anything that? you'd like to share along those lines? Anne? Well, I, I, we talked about Leave No Trace um, and the private private war where, where Rosamund Pike is so amazing. Um, I'm not going to make any claims for Welcome to Marwin, that's for sure. <laughs> that's one of the, the big whiffs of the year in terms of somebody like Bob Zemeckis aiming for the fences and doing something extremely audacious and and in some ways original, but he's trying to reach a mainstream audience, so it just goes flat it just it just doesn't work and steve carell couldn't couldn't carry it um but um cold war remains one of my favorite movies if you haven't seen that one yet so the the, there's two movies that i i feel like should be remembered this year and are maybe not in the conversation nearly as much one i mean this one is kind of obvious because it's a really small film and it's just been kind of buried throughout the year and that's nl septimondia which is Jim McKay's film about a immigrant delivery guy in, in Brooklyn who is part of a soccer team. And it's just a very sweet kind of classical new wave or not new wave, but neo-realist kind of a story, but very timely because it's about the immigrant experience in America. And it's, it's out there. Check out NL Septimondia because I, it's, it's moving. It's emotional. It's very well done. And it was made on a shoestring, which, you know, it's rare to see those kind of combinations. The other one, which I know you've seen as well, 
came out this month, kind of, but not in a traditional way. And that's The House That Jack Built, a movie that I have been really <laughs> fascinated to see uh... actually has been pretty well received. When I saw this at Cannes, I was like, I don't even know how you release this movie without society just like revolting, given what a sensitive climate we live in right now. And then to hear from women on our staff and, and, and other people who well, I would say maybe it's would Lars be- von Trier. So yeah. it's a well-made, well-mounted, you know, movie. And he has every right to make this movie if he wants to, but um, I'm certainly never going to want to see that film again. Well, it's I've pretty unpleasant. I saw it twice. I liked it again the second time. Glutton I think it's, for punishment. But it's, it's not. I mean, it's like, yes, there are some shocking scenes, but he uses the mold of this kind of like slasher film to explore his own personal artistic frustrations, to explore like masculine rage and the general kind of indifference of the world to the persecution of women. I mean, there's like a, a, a scene when he's like, basically torturing his girlfriend and about to kill her and he's shouting and the camera pans out and he says nobody cares anymore and it's like obviously in in any situation when he's in a, a a place where there are other people that would mean that someone would come and save this woman and no one does i mean the film exists in this kind of abstract metaphorical place that i think is just riveting to watch and even if it's sometimes a little clumsy in some of its transitions and it it's overly ambitious some people would use the word pretentious which I'm, I'm skeptical of i do appreciate that and i appreciate a filmmaker like lars von trier for willing to go there as so few people will do so i don't know people should try to check it out it's on vod it's got to be making money there that's one movie that's almost like ready made to survive in that kind of environment even though it you know got some kind of a limited theatrical release for like one night only or something like that. So, Oh, by the way, I would say uh, to, to all those folks, you know, I, I, I love uh, Ralph, Ralph breaks the internet and, and uh, Incredibles too, but the movie that's going to actually challenge them in the animated Oscar race is uh, into the spider verse, which yeah, it's a fun is pretty movie. amazing. Very fun movie. I think that it's uh it's one of those things where like, uh, everybody had low expectations for an animated Spider-Man movie. And then it turns out that it's got real ideas driving it. It's, it's you know, the Lego movie guy. And drawn animation on top of CG that makes a really big difference. Yeah, it's very a very satisfying movie. But the visual style is interesting. Along with diversity as well. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of, and, and the diversity element snuck into it. I mean, if you were a comics person, you knew about the Miles Morales character going back about seven years, but you also have, like, uh, you know, two women characters, one of whom is a Japanese character. And, you know, it's just it's just interesting the way that they, they by kind of using this entirely new premise for a superhero movie, were able to free up the material and fix some of the problems that a lot of these movies have had. So that's worth checking out as well in any case i'm taking off for vacation i know you are too hoping to look at other aspects of the world that don't have anything to do with movies what are, what are, are you, you doing anything fun i'm going to thailand i'm getting on well. the, i'm getting on the longest commercial flight in the world from newark to singapore 18 and a half hours something like that and uh so i'll be 12 hours ahead of of everybody else if not more the longest one i ever did was from uh la to darfur 
and then I was going yeah. to Johannesburg. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was one year. That yeah, was I mean, like a fifteen-hour flight. Just like you just gotta take that. It, it is actually a convenient way to get to Thailand. So I'm just we're just taking that jump and and seeing what happens. But it's a good way to go off the grid. So I'll just be kind of traipsing around Asia for a little bit and then back into the flow of things. What are, what are you up to? I'm going back east, um, and uh, I'm seeing my brother and my nieces in uh, Cambridge, and then I'm going up to Poland Spring, Maine uh, with Nora's father and her grandfather, and then I'm going down to New York and seeing some shows. I'm going to see the the Jez Butterworth, uh, the Ferryman, and the new Kenneth Lonergan with uh, Elaine May. I'm very excited. And are you taking any screeners with you? You bet. <laughs> I'm still on the fence about it. Probably not. No, I will. You've got to get around. You've got to have something to watch on the plane, right? Yeah. Well, maybe they'll have the wife. Anything's possible. Yeah. You'll. Oh, you'll end up having to watch quite yeah, twice after all. <laughs> I can watch it like ten times as I travel across the ocean. This is this is the torture that we're going to devise for Eric Cohn. <laughs> well, I, I hope you enjoy all these different things that you're doing that are not related to work because we've got a lot of work ahead of us. And, we uh, do. you know, I'm looking Back forward to it. Soon enough. Happy New Year. See you bye soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.